Yes, Advent begins today. Advent is this time of preparation. Some of you are thinking, okay, I've never done Advent before. Um, It's a way of readying our hearts for kind of the weight of what takes place on Christmas Day. And I just love, I mean, this has become part of our tradition over the years and these ideas of recognizing each theme as we um, are looking towards Christmas, towards the coming of Christ, preparing our hearts. And I love the simplicity of this first one, this message of hope, this light coming into the world. And Advent is celebrated by lighting candles, one for each day. This is the weird sound section here. Um, And so I want to begin by lighting our first candle. And um, Kelly, um, where's Kelly? I saw her in the background. Anyways, um, she would always tell me to make sure that I lit the candle first for Advent. And so I just wanted her to know that I did so. Um, (laughs) So I know which one to light. Um, Jesus said, I am the light of, of the world. He follows me, shall not walk in darkness but you'll have the light of life. Amen. And hope. Hope is um, something that I feel like is kind of in short supply these days. We uh, live in a time that feels like a time of anxiety, a time of worry, what can feel like a time of growing crisis. And Advent, part of the power of this season is it comes at this time when the world is the darkest. That we celebrate, or not celebrate, but experience in the month of December, the the darkest day of the year, as well as the shortest day of the year. And in the past, kind of if you rewind historically, this was kind of a spooky time of year. In fact, um, that was often a part of the rituals of this time, was this kind of extension of Halloween in some ways. If you've listened to the Advent, or I mean not Advent, but the um, Christmas Carol by Andy Williams, where he says there'll be scary ghost stories and whatever that is, right? And you're like, what? Scary? What is this? Well, there was kind of a, a sense of the dreariness of this season, even sort of the frightening um, darkness that was all around us. And so people would, as a way of comfort, even tell these as they gathered these scary stories. And in some ways, this is what Dickens wrote into as he wrote this wonderful story, um, The Christmas Carol, talking about looking back with that sense of like dread and transitioning into this story of transformation, light of truth coming into the darkness. And ultimately, in the end, this transformation of one's heart, the beauty of this season, the hope of this season in the light of truth coming into the darkness. Um, Advent is a time of preparing for this gift of the Messiah, this glimmer in the midst of a world that was sort of degenerating, that all of a sudden this was like a new creation moment that came in. This spark of hope that this group of people were waiting for, longing for, but interestingly enough, in the moment, missed it when it happened. It it came in in a way that was unexpected, and that so many of the people were looking in all the wrong places for their hope. And it turns out that, that Advent comes in in a way that feels smaller than what we so often are paying attention to, and also at the same time, much larger It's happening in the cosmos with a star in the sky, and it's happening in humility with this baby in a manger. 
And this is the beginning of a new year for the church calendar. I told you a little bit about this. So we're, we're moving into, if you go through the lectionary, it kind of goes in these three years, year A, year B, year C. And we're just beginning year B in the lectionary. And one of the passages for today, the gospel reading, has this sense of looking forward. And, and Advent is about that. Adventus, it's this Latin word for coming or arrival. We're reminded in this season that we live between these two arrivals, a recognition of what happened on Christmas Day, the arrival of God himself into the midst of our story, but also that we live in this place of tension looking forward to a coming arrival. And in Mark 13, Jesus is going to speak to this. And it's not like this was a one-off. He spoke actually fairly often about this idea of a second coming, a second advent. And in Mark 13, he says this, but in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not shed its light. The stars will be falling from the sky and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the son of man coming in clouds with great power and glory. He will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its branch becomes tender and sprouts leaves, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see these things happening, recognize that he is near as the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away but my words will never pass away. Now concerning that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Watch, be alert, for you don't know when the time is coming. It's like a man on a journey who left his house, gave authority to his servants, gave each one his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to be alert. Therefore, be alert, since you don't know when the master of the house is coming whether in the evening or at midnight or the crowing of the rooster or early in the morning. Otherwise, when he comes suddenly, he might find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to everyone, be alert. So Jesus, when he talks about this event, he's not only revealing to them what has yet to come, but how we live in readiness for this. This was a word that Jesus was constantly speaking to his disciples to watch, to pay attention, to attend to what was going on because what was going to come was going to come suddenly and you didn't want to be asleep. And sometimes this may sound a bit, well, like fanatical, like, oh, this apocalyptic end of the world, like this is just something that religious people must worry about and talk about. But, but the truth is, this isn't the case. If you listen to any scientists or astronomers, they're going to be talking quite a bit about the end of the world. The limited amount of years our planet will be able to sustain, sustain life. But, but even bigger than that, cosmologically, we've mentioned this before, that our, whole, our galaxy is going straight for Andromeda. Like at some point, these things collide, right? You can sort of see... Oh, something's coming. Thankfully, we've got like four billion years before that happens. But <laughs> you can kind of see this sort of inevitable thing. And, and when we look out there, it raises these questions. It humbles us. We see how short our life is in light of all that's going on around us. I, I loved this, this J James Webb telescope that they've 
got out there. It came back with this image. Do you see this little clever thing over here to the right? You see that little question mark there? <laughs> this freaked everybody out. They're like, what does that mean? And it doesn't mean anything. It's a, like the shape of a question mark. And yet kind of a beautiful symbol of what something like this should do to us, right? Like, oh my gosh, who are we? What is any of this all about? That we have these questions that can feel in some ways unanswerable. There's a um, a theoretical physicist, Neil deGrasse Tyson, who he, um, Colbert likes to interview him. He's kind of a character, but he was saying one of the things that keeps him up at night is that in just you know a matter of time, the, the stars in the sky, will, we won't be able to see any longer. That our universe is going faster and faster until at some point all we'll have is just the Milky Way around us. Everything else will have faded. And that it will be invisible. And all that information will have gone away. And he was saying what keeps him up at night is the thought that something like that may have already happened that we just don't know about. As we stare out the limits and our horizon that we can't see past, what if there's more out there? And the truth is, this is kind of the profoundness of what we celebrate in Advent, is this unknown that's out there, inaccessible to us. We have a a voice that comes in and speaks to us from within the context that... um, that the one behind the beginning and the one who knows the end enters into this story with revelation and speaks to this. Yes, this life, this creation, it's just a matter of time, but there's more. That it came from this place of deep love and the brilliance of this creation as it emerges has given this opportunity for us to be transformed into something new. And that all of this is for a time and will one day come to an end, and yet more awaits. And so Jesus is saying, live your life in light of that reality, a greater cosmological story than the one that we can otherwise see through a telescope. And there's three really simple um, kind of takeaways from this story as Jesus talks, as he speaks to the end. He's giving us this promise, this assurance, that he will return that we cannot possibly find out when and that we need to be ready. This is how we're to live our life. And we see this again and again in the New Testament writings. I think there's like 300 verses that speak to this reality of what lies ahead. And I think that we can make kind of two different mistakes in this regard. We we can sort of live our lives as if like, well, at some point that'll happen and great when it does hey, there it is. He's saying, no, 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 this needs to be on our hearts, in our minds. This needs to be something that we think about. But at the same time, maybe not too much. Meaning like the people with the calculators out that are like, oh, I figured it out. I cracked the code. He's coming here, right? And I've been a Christian long enough that I've seen a few of those dates pass by, right? People that had the answer and they wrote the book and were like, this guy figured it out. And we should know Jesus is going, "Uh uh-uh. Right? In fact, the second you pick a date, he's like, okay, now we can't come that day. Right? Because. <laughs> so, anyway, this, this idea of trying to, to somehow hack this system, we're not supposed to. Every bit of like revelation is speaking to these realities, but does it in a way that's vague intentionally? 
Because the posture of this, this hopeful, anticipatory waiting, this is how we're called to live. And Jesus is saying that this, even this posture is doing a deep inner work, living with a sense of dependency, living with this realization that life is, is brief and precious, that every day is a gift. And I love this. I, George MacDonald, this, it's written in kind of old English. This is, you know, from a little while back. But he says, Do those who say, lo, there, or lo, there, are the signs of his coming, think too keen for him and spy his approach? He says this, I love it. When he tells them to watch, lest he find them neglecting their work, they stare this way and that and watch, lest he should succeed in coming like a thief. And he says this, obedience is the one key of life. And I thought as I was reading that, which is kind of, it's a little bit hard to unpack all the language there, but this idea of what is the waiting, what does it do? It, well, it, it compels us to obey, that we have this day, this opportunity, and what we want to do is give to this day an obedient, surrendered heart, a sense of expectancy and optimism, a, a looking at life going, whatever the case may be, we know how this story ends, and it ends well. Paul, I think, does such a great job of, of showing us this tension. He, um, he says to the Philippians in, in chapter 1, he says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I'm torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. This is kind of the tension as we're living with this day, this moment here. We have this opportunity to invest ourselves in meaningful work. In fact, in work that, that brings that light into the world, that lives that hope. As a world is sort of spiraling into anxiety and fear, as it's in tension and angry, we come in and we cast a posture that's in contrast to that. There's a freedom. There's a, almost a whimsical freedom to it. This is all going to be okay. This non-anxious presence in the world of hope and promise. The second coming will come suddenly, and, and we want to be caught at work. We want to be caught doing the things that, um, that matter most. I, I love, you know, Instagram, it tells us a lot about ourselves, what pops up in our feeds, right? And for some reason, I get these, like, photos of animals that, like, look guilty. I don't know what that says about me. But have you seen these, like, where they're, like, taking a photo, and you're, like, there's one that I love with this guy that he's, like, looking on the floor, and there's, like, dog poop on the floor. And then he's, like, pans over to his dog, and his dog's, like, frozen. Like, I have no idea how that got there, but it wasn't me, right? And, and I think in some ways, Jesus is going... Don't let that be you. When I come, don't be like, oh, shoot. Right? And, it, and it's, I mean, it's a simple little thing, right? But he's saying, you want to be caught doing the things that matter, living well, living a life that is like filled with promise. And that's the opportunity. But there's also a little bit of consequence wrapped up in this. The part of the reality is that how we live this life does matter. In fact, we're told that what comes after this is judgment. 
And judgment is a word that I think sometimes catches us off guard, right? We're like, wait, what? Like, this, it's got this connotation of punishment. But honestly, I don't think that's the right understanding of judgment as much as it is illumination, transparency, that everything sort of gets revealed. We, we can live in this life like we're hiding things, right? And think that we're getting away with things. And, and Jesus is saying, no, when all this happens, like when everything is illuminated, everything is exposed, like the truth is seen. And I don't know about you, but I squirm a little bit like, oh, wait, I don't know if I want that much truth, right? That um, it's nice to be able to sort of have that closet that you can just shove things into and um, pretend isn't there. But that way of living doesn't actually bring freedom, that the things that we're hiding, the things, the, the, the guilt that we pretend that we can avoid, those things build up within us. So the judgment itself is like a tearing off of this old stuff, this casting out of old garments. And part of the posture of how we're to live is in freedom from all of that, not burdened by the guilt or running from the shame, but facing that and allowing that stuff to be cast off. This is what truth does. It's what light does. And, and Jesus even is kind of warning us at the beginning of John's gospel that sometimes we prefer the darkness to the light. We try to live in our own sort of compartmentalized self-judgment, thinking that, again, that we're somehow maybe better than everybody else out there. There's a um, Christian philosopher named Francis Schaeffer, some of you have heard of. And, and he would do this thing where, I mean, it's funny, so it's a little dated now. He would say, imagine yourself with like a, a tape recorder around your neck that is listening, right? And you're like, we don't know what that would be like, right? Except <laughs> maybe we do now. <laughs> Have this, what if there was this device that you had with you that was always listening to what you said? <laughs> And so here you go. Imagine this device in your pocket that's listening only to the judgmental things that you say about others. And then in the end, this is your judgment that God says, okay, we're going to take your standards and apply them to you, right? We would be in trouble. All of us would be in trouble. All of us like to sit in that seat of judgment and point at all the flaws in other people. This is kind of how we hide from ourselves. And Jesus is saying all that stuff is just going to be erased, right? It's all going to be exposed. There's going to be so much truth. But here's the good news. The, the sort of darkness or the punishment or these kind of things, that day's actually already happened. That comes after Christmas on a day called Good Friday where the sky did get dark. And the earth did shake. And all of that was taken care of. And so part of the hope of this is realizing that that like grace is there. That that is right at the heart of the universe. The, the creator behind this all. How does he feel towards you, this tiny little human living this short little life? Deep compassion. I love that Christmas hymn that says... Then he appeared and the soul felt its worth. It's part of what gives us such deep hope is, is not that somehow we've lived this perfect life that's going to pass the test, but that someone has come so that we can stand without shame and guilt, 
experience that mercy, but then live lives that have substance to them, that we have this opportunity to step into that glory. In 1 Corinthians 3, this is such an interesting verse, but pointing to this sort of idea of of judgment has got this fire. And and it's not for some and uh, not others. It's for everybody. Everybody goes through this sort of burning away of all the junk. And Paul says this, No one can lay any foundation other than what has been laid down, and that foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by the fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss, but he himself will be saved. But only as through fire. It's such an interesting idea, right? That this foundation is there and, it, and it's available and all of us could stand. It's not like, well, sorry, you've got to score so, so many points on that board in order to get in. It's there. But the invitation to live this life that, that really matters. See, it's speaking to a whole different side of who we are. We, we have the humility of knowing that we are so small and dependent and yet... We're given this opportunity to live lives that really matter eternally. I wonder if in some ways it's a little bit like an audition for something. I'm thinking about this because my daughter, Lila, just did her auditions for the next school play. And uh, so you go, you have to do a song, you have to do a little monologue, and then you wait for a few days. And her teacher said, okay, callbacks are coming out on Saturday. But she didn't say when. And so we waited and waited and waited. Oh, my gosh. They came in at the end of the day, and it was like agony for my daughter. She keeps checking her email like, no, not here yet, not here yet. And I, I think it, this, she got like a callback for the park she wanted. Yay, go, go, Lila. Um, <laughs> But to me, I think that's this sort of hope. That's what is being called. When Jesus is saying, watch, be ready, he's saying, we need to pour everything we got into this. When he comes back, he wants you doing that thing that you're designed to do. This is the inspiration behind this. We're not called to like sit back on the couch and just wait for this moment to happen. We're like having a chance to step into our calling to be that like best version of ourselves, a God who looks at each one of us and goes, oh, this is who you are. This is what I'm drawing out of you. And in Advent, we practice this idea of delayed gratification. It's um, kind of in some ways contrasts the way that our world experiences Christmas, which is like to try to extend the celebration, you know, as much as possible, right? Like Christmas starts September 1st and we just start buying stuff, right? It's like this consumer-driven, overindulgent celebration. And Advent goes, okay, no, it is celebratory, but, but the posture of this, of waiting, sometimes it's just that simple candle that's lit. And sometimes it's hard that the truth is Advent, living in this way, living in this anticipation, 
Sometimes we just feel the darkness. We don't feel the celebration. I know some of you, because we talk every year, going, this is the worst time of the year for some. It's a remembrance of loss. It's a remembrance of what, you know, disappointments or all kinds of things, deep loneliness that could come in this season. We live in a world where we don't hide from the darkness. Advent reminds us that this darkness is there and is present, but we have this candle of hope as we wait. And we're not good at waiting. We, everything in our world is driven towards efficiency, right? But, but all that means is our tolerance for waiting just keeps shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. That something in that practice is building a strength within us. It's creating um, something new. And in that waiting, in that place of dependence, things start to emerge within us that we start to resemble the one who came. And this is the gift that we have in Jesus, is that not only is he coming with this message of what is out there, this greater picture or this greater story, but he comes and he models to us how to do this. He comes in humility. He comes with deep generosity. He comes without condemnation. He comes in this posture that is not afraid. As the storms rage around, he sleeps in the front of the boat. He keeps his eyes on what is to come, and that allows him to endure. There's joy set before him, which gives him the hope to endure what we could otherwise have not. And that modeling for us, this helps us see our own story that we too are to follow in his steps. We too are to live these lives of generosity. And when we do, we're modeling not only that revelation, but that reality of hope that our lives become, like Jesus is saying here, these little blossoms emerging on the fig tree. That summer is coming, that things are beginning to thaw, even when we look around and we see darkness and suffering that this new life is starting to bud. And in many ways, we are like that fig tree starting to bud, that this is what the church ought to be. And this is painful. And that's, again, it's part of, of what we're told. This is the process of this new creation that's happening. As this world comes to an end, a new one is birthed. And in Romans 8, Paul's going to say it like this. He says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay and to the glorious freedom of God's children we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor, um, labor pains until now. Not only that we ourselves, who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? Now if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience." Eagerly waiting with patience, but also labor pains. There's groaning that's here. There's a struggle that is happening. 
that it's building in us patience. It's building in us perseverance. It's building in us something new. It's part of the forming of this new life. And I love how here he's saying it's not just we who are made new. It's the whole of creation that all these things, sickness and death and decay, these things are overcome. These things are a temporary reality that are set right. And human beings know this in our heart. We ache with this um, longing for eternity. We see the offense of death. And Jesus comes in, or Paul in this case, saying, hang in there, breathe, right? You can practice your sort of spiritual Lamaze breathing. This is a way of, of getting through the struggles, but it's with this anticipation of what is to come. New life. I like how Fleming Rutledge says this. She says, in Advent, we don't pretend, as I once thought, that we are, in, um, we are in the darkness before the birth of Christ. Rather, we take a good, hard look at the darkness we are in now, facing and defining it honestly, so that we will understand with utmost clarity that our great and only hope is in Jesus' final victorious coming. That's the posture of Advent. That is the waiting It's not like, oh, everything was dark and then Jesus came. It's that in that moment where Jesus came, he sets in motion something. He brings with it the confirmation, the reality that peace is coming to earth. I love how the angels proclaim that as he comes. Peace on earth, and yet we are not there, but it's coming. And in Isaiah, he prophesies this just beautiful passage of what Jesus has come to do. And God says this, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The past events will not be remembered or come to mind. Then be glad and rejoice forever in what I'm creating. For I will create a Jerusalem to be a joy, for its people to be a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will no longer be heard in her. Amen. And this is the comfort that we bring. This is the gospel. This is the good news. It's not good advice, although it is valuable advice, but it's this reality of what has occurred. It's good news. It's a victory that has taken place. That it's coming and every day is a gift. My dad just turned to 80. And um, for Thanksgiving, we were just going around and celebrating the good. And he said, oh, I'm just grateful for every day. He's like, I didn't know if I'd live this long. It's like every day is a gift. Every day with your mom is a gift. And I was like, oh, I love that. And I was thinking, you know, I think part of what we're coming to grips with here is that we as the human race are about 80 years old. We're coming to the end of our story. And in that, that's not a sort of, like, depressing reality. It's not for my dad who who looks ahead with optimism of what awaits and yet values and savors every single day. And this is how we should live. With this lightness of, like, every single day is a gift. Every single day is an opportunity to watch and be aware to live with this kind of lightness to us in peace, even in the midst and defiance of that darkness to shine that light. 
This from G.K. Chesterton. He says, the power of hoping through everything, the knowledge that the soul survives its adventures, that great inspiration comes to the middle-aged. God has kept that good wine until now. It is from the backs of the elderly gentlemen that the wings of the butterfly should burst. There's nothing that so much mystifies the young as a consistent frivolity of the old. They've discovered their indestructibility. They are in the second and clear childhood, and there is a meaning in the merriment of their eyes. They have seen the end of the world. This is what we celebrate in Advent, this posture. This end is coming, but a new childhood comes next. Things set right that allows us to live in this place, as he says, with this frivolity, with this joy that that Christmas is indeed not just a time of waiting, but an anticipation of celebration, that we get to celebrate that moment, that gift, this birth of Christ. We're going to go to the Lord's table and and celebrate this, but I want to, of course, ask you some questions as we look up to that night sky and see that question mark there in the sky. Here's my questions for you today. What do you hope for? What are the longings of your heart? Maybe this Christmas, sitting with that reality, what are those deeper longings? The thing beneath the thing. Have you asked yourself why you're hoping for those things? Is there a deeper hope or longing? I I think sometimes when we sit with questions, what we realize is that there's more. There's an underneath. They just kind of come up in layers. What is the, the longing behind the longing? Where do you find yourself taking shortcuts to happiness? <laughs> we all do, right? Where do you find yourself um, having become cynical, cut off, detached from hope? In both areas, what would, you, um, what would a way forward look like? We kind of protect ourselves either way. Either we go totally down the hallmark rabbit hole of Christmas um, movies, or, or we can kind of look at it with this sort of cynical separation. How do we live in that vulnerable place of hope? And lastly, where have you become weary? What is causing you to groan? How might the Spirit be working to assist you in carrying the burden?